Lord, minister your word. I pray that it won't return void. There won't be one person who wasted a trip today. As we look at a story told so long ago, and God, it trips me out to think that it was told thousands of, a couple of thousand years ago, but we, we know it and we think about it and we wonder if it's too good to be true. But maybe it's so good it's got to be true. Minister to us today in Christ we pray. Amen. Well, how about that men's choir today? Wasn't that good to see these guys? Yeah. We had a, a couple of months ago, we had an Easter, uh, like it was an Easter of all Easters, and we had a choir, and it was women and one guy, women and Wayne, I called it. And uh, now we got seven men. Let me ask you, I did this in the first service, but is it, are these, uh, A, seven men full of the Holy Spirit, or seven men who were asking are just suckers? Um, they, uh, honestly, I know all the guys, and they, um, a couple of them uh, can't really sing. They just look good, and they were willing uh, two weeks ago, Dr. Jimmy Stewart closed out Courageous Conversations, and last week, John Wood opened Parables. Jimmy and John, Jimmy John, freaky fast, really good guys, appreciate them. Today, I want to continue in a series, and Luke 15 is the place to go. If you brought a Bible, I want to honor you for doing that. There's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. You can grab one. You know it's coming up on the screen, and we're going to look at a really familiar a story that Jesus told long ago in this series of parables uh, found in Luke 15 and we'll, uh, we'll walk through it and I, I know my work is cut out for me today in this sense is that most everybody in the room knows this story. There's no cliffhanger here. You're very familiar with it. Even if you're not a Christian, if you're not a person of faith, if you hardly ever come to church, this is one of those stories you've probably heard. So there's no, no, I can't surprise you. I was thinking about having Jason jump out and kill him. But uh, if you got a book, a Bible open, you, I can't pull that uh, wool over your eyes. But we're going to look at this, uh, Luke 15, and we'll look at it in part as it unfolds. And I hope it's got something for you today. And even you can see it in fresh eyes that it can pluck your heartstrings in a unique way um, today. And we, of course, timed it for this day, um, this Father's Day. Luke chapter 15, we'll get there. Hey, you know, there's some things a dad never is going to say. A dad's never going to say, um, here, here's my uh, keys to the car. Uh, my credit card, go act crazy. He's not going to say, why, why do you need to get a job? I've got plenty of money. A dad's not going to say, you know, no son of mine is going to live under my roof and not have an earring. Or, uh, hey, sweetie, princess, you're 16 now. It's time that you date older guys. There's just some things a father is never going to say. And in this story, uh, Jesus wants to, us to be aware, wants us to know that there's something God will never say, and that is you're too far gone. Or your sin is too great. Or you can't, you can't come home. And this story starts in this way. Jesus had told about a coin that was lost, a sheep that was lost. And then he ups the ante. He tells a story of a son. And he says, there was a man who had two sons. And can I just say, uh, we've analyzed this. We've studied it. Preachers have done entire series. Any Tim Keller fans or followers, you know, he's got a series called The Prodigal God. We've done it as a small group. I don't know if you remember many, many years, years ago, but uh, there's a lot to this and you can dissect it in, in many uh, parts. But this is chiefly, don't miss this, this is a story of a father. This is a story of a remarkable dad. Now there are two sons in this 
And Susan and I have, for many, many years, we have really bought into uh, those birth order dynamics. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's not in the scripture per se, but birth order dynamics. How many of you, let me ask you, you're an older child in your family. You're the older kid in your house. Just raise your hand. Don't be shy. How many of you are the younger child? You're the youngest. I'm the, I'm the youngest. I've got an older sister. I'm the youngest child. How many middle children in the room today? You're a middle child. Okay. Uh, you're not in the story. There's no middle child. So Jesus wants you to know God doesn't care um, about you. No, he does. Hey, um, Researchers show that the middle child is actually the healthiest and most well-adjusted child. Not, not true. That's a lie as well. Um, <laughs> if you're, if you're a, a younger child, uh, I'm one. Younger children can uh, tend to be, though not always the case, younger children can tend to be uh, charming. Uh, they uh, can, uh, they want to be in the limelight. I've heard it said that a, 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 there's a certain person who wants a type of humor. Younger children can be this way where they want to be the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. They want the limelight. They want to shine. They, they're used to getting their way. In fact, some of them even blurt out, hey, mom, dad, I'm the baby. I need to get my way. But they can be, um, as well as their charm, uh, they can be impulsive. They can be entitled. They can be spoiled. And then the older children, uh, they color between the lines. They always do what they're going to say. They're very responsible. The room is always clean. The bed is always made. The grades are always uh, good. They're per- they have tendencies toward perfectionist, achieving, responsible tendencies. But on the downside, they can be bossy and judgmental and proud. They can tell the younger ones what they should be doing. And although this story involves these boys and they fit into the story that Jesus tells them 2,000 years ago fits in to birth order dynamics uh, psychologically in our day, this is at at the core of it is a story about a father. A father who loved. A father who was gentle and firm and patient. A father who most of all was devoted to his kids. In 2019, we preached a sermon uh, on forgiveness. And I I sensed that it was a day to have an altar call. A day, in fact, uh, the team invited or helped us. They passed out three by five cards all around the house. And we invited you toward the end to write down who you need to forgive. Because bitterness builds up, doesn't it? It can get the best of us. And it's not good in any level. And we ask you, who do you need to forgive? And we got a a stack of cards that day, and I've kept them. Some of you chose to be anonymous, and that was your invitation. That was your opportunity. And some of you wrote down your name. We made a promise that we were good on, that we would pray for all them. The anonymous ones, we would pray for you if you told us your name and who you needed to forgive. And... There's a few hundred here. Not everybody came forward that day and placed this at the altar, but hundreds did. And I ask you, who do you think, what do you think the number one answer is? I'll give you number two before number one. The number two was, I need to forgive myself. Hey, preacher. Hey, founder and church staff. Hey, would you pray for me to be able to forgive myself. There's something jumbled in the closet. There's some type of, we would call it a skeleton. There's something I'm ashamed of that I've done and I just can't forgive myself. Would you pray for me? But the number one answer 
far and away, number one answer was my father. Would you pray for me to be able to forgive my dad? Even a dad who is no longer with us. And I want to say today, I know that's heavy, but I want to say today, in Jesus' story, this is not that dad. This is a dad who was all in with his children. He was utterly devoted to them, and they knew it. He loved them. But they broke his heart. Both boys, in different ways, but they broke his heart. They opened it up. Parents, you know this. You know that feeling. It's a fragile and vulnerable feeling to have yourself opened up like that. They broke his heart. The younger one, let's go to him first. It says this. There was a man who had two sons. And it says, he says in verse 12 of Luke 15, if your Bible is open, it's Luke 15, 12. But he says, this young man says, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. So I'm going to break this down in its component parts in a simple way. Nothing scholarly about this, but just think with me. Give me. He doesn't say, what can I give? It's gimme, gimme. He doesn't say, hey, where can I serve? He doesn't say, how can I contribute? He doesn't say, where are the needs? He doesn't say, how can I be a part of the greater good by divesting myself here? He says, gimme. Gimme my stuff. The word my, a component part there, is entitlement. This is what's coming to me. You dig deeper into first century Jewish life, you know that there was advantage to be sons. There was advantage to be the oldest son. The inheritance was going to be his. But he wanted it now, which in that day is like saying, Dad, I just wish you were dead. Give me my stuff. He's asking to be given stuff. This is Luke 15 and Luke 12. Jesus had taught. He had said that a man's life, he, he gave a command. He said, be on guard. Be on guard against all forms of greed. Because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He would teach parables in Luke and in Mark and it's a series we're in. He would talk about the sower and the seed and he would say that the word, the, the, the seed, sometimes it falls on soil that's thorny or rocky and he says that it chokes out the word. The cares of this age, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things. In Matthew 6, don't treasure things where moths can eat and where rust can corrupt where thieves can break in and steal but treasure rather things in heaven he's not saying don't treasure don't take desire out of your life we never want to be a church that says your desires aren't important your desires can be distorted and misguided and the scripture calls it sin and we got to reckon with it but you are a person of desire and Jesus knows that he knows it and he says he doesn't say don't be desiring creatures he says you all will treasure but treasure the right thing and here is this son, the deceitfulness of riches, the care of other things, the cares of this life and the lust of other things. He wants to embrace it now, spitting in the face of his father and the greater good. He's saying, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. It's coming. There's a, there's a proper time for it, but I want it now. Impulse control. 
a lack thereof. Not operating in due time, but now time. And that can get you in trouble, can't it? He says, I want this right now. Now, as related to Jewish custom, it's going to take the dad a while. You see, this family lives in a village with other families. This family has considerable wealth. They've got servants. They've got cattle. This dad needs some time. In fact, Scripture will tell us, if your Bible's open, you can see this. You can trust me or read it later, that it takes him several days. The, the kid wanted it then. He wanted, he wanted his dad's money. He wanted to kick off the He wanted to get out of this small town. He wanted to go to a distant country, and he would. But it took some days. The dad had to liquidate the assets. He had to sell some of the possessions. He had to get the house in order so he could give this son his possession. It took some days, and this gave the village people a chance to talk. It was the topic du jour. It was a a matter of conversation about the family dynamics. Anybody from a small town, anybody had your issues and your family be a part of small town gossip or small church gossip, ever experienced that? There was a bit of this going on behind the scenes in this story. So the guy, the son, the younger son, his charming self sets off. What are some characteristics that are in him that could be in us? Here's one, a restless, a restless attitude. It's kind of like at home. I'm not good with the remote control. He had a restless attitude. Here, babe, you take it. I'm just kidding. That's never happened before, ever. Here, you take it. I can't operate this, sweetie. You take it. Never said those words before. Restless attitude. It says he he took a journey into a far country, a distant country, a foreign place. When you're restless, it's not necessarily evil always, but it can be. When you're restless, you could be today. You're bored. You feel trapped. You feel like you're missing out. And if that's a feeling that you had or you battle with, I hope it's temporary. I hope it's transient. I hope it doesn't anchor itself in your soul because marriages don't go well if one or both people feel bored, trapped, or like they're missing out. Are you with me? You don't do well financially if you feel bored or trapped or like you're missing out. You go outside of the bounds of what's good and noble and healthy when you feel bored and trapped and you feel like you're missing out. In fact, this was, stay with me, this was the very first tactic the devil used against a woman named Eve when he made her think that God had not given her enough. Woman and man fell into the same sin. They both believed the same lie. Do you? We sang from Psalm 84. Thank you, Lauren. It's one of my favorite songs. I love it. It's so beautiful. Hard to preach after that. God gives us these good things. The psalmist says, no good thing do I hold from you. But it's easy to believe. It's easy to look over at the proverbial Joneses. It's easy to look at your screen. It's easy to feel like you're missing out. and You're not content in those blessings. And this young son had a restless attitude. And that restless attitude led, as the scripture shows us in the story, to a reckless spirit. It says this, that he squandered, verse 13 says those very words, he squandered his property in reckless living. He wanted to be free. And when you want to be free, you want to, you want to, you want to pick up and you want to go somewhere. It, it, it can be geographical. Often it's geographical, but it doesn't have to be. But I want to go to a new thing. I want to go to a new land. And I want to live my way because I am tired 
of this. I'm tired of these rules. I'm tired of feeling bored. I'm tired of feeling trapped. I'm tired of feeling like I missed out. Guess what? Frank Sinatra, before Frank Sinatra's time, I'm going to do it my way, and I'm going to walk into freedom. There's a story history bears out about um, a man, a duke, in the 14th century in a part of the world that is now modern-day Belgium. And this duke was named Reynard III. And Reynard III was highly regarded and respected and wealthy, and he had the position of a duke with all of the dukey benefits that come from being a duke. And, but he had one big vice, and his one big vice was that he was extremely morbidly obese. He could not control his appetite. And there was a revolt in the land that was led by a brother, one of Reynard III's brothers, a revolt led by the brother. They built a prison for Reynard after the revolt. They built this prison, and it was a prison not with bars on the window or locks on the doors. It was a prison that was built around him physically, and the door was narrow to where he would have to lose weight to get out of the door. But a promise was made. If you don't eat yourself and gorge yourself as you have been doing, if you can lose weight, you can walk out of this door. He ordered sumptuous meals on the daily. And as history records, he died, an overweight man in a prison, not of lock and key, but a prison of his own appetite. A weird illustration, but listen to me. Weird but true. But we start out thinking pleasure and we end up in a prison. What was it for this young son? Man, it was bright and shiny. It was Vegas. It was partying. If you were to believe the end of the story that Jesus told from his brother, it was prostitute. So he was all in on hedonism. No stoicism. All in. Seek pleasure and thrill at all costs. He didn't know what we should learn early in life is that yes, you can have pleasure in sin and selfishness, but it's momentary, it's temporary, it ain't gonna last and you're gonna feel hollow. But he had to learn that and that was the prison that he was in. He got, many of you know how the story plays out, he got himself into a pigsty. The money ran out and the friends left. Isn't that when we know we need to change? Almost nothing gets our attention like when the money runs out. That's why we got to be careful if we're rich. But the money ran out. He got to an end of himself in the pigsty. It was ruined living. He ruined his life. We see when he gets to the very, very end of himself, at the lowest point, when the friends were gone, the money had run out, is when he thought, I need to go home. But how dare he go home? At that time, in that culture, if a Jewish boy does this very thing, if he spits in the face of his family, breaks the heart of his father, says, I wish you were dead, takes that inheritance, goes to a foreign land, and squanders that property in, the, in a Gentile culture, that was not good living, not clean living, and that should be a point of shame. And he thought, if I have to return, then I'm going to have to return to this father. Will he receive me to this brother? How is he going to treat me? To this village. And 
the Hebrews, this Jewish culture back then, was a very visual culture. They had ceremonies, they had symbols. You know, we live in a consumer culture that's primarily about individuals and autonomy. We don't, things like this are foreign to us. But this, uh, this culture, they had a, an actual ceremony. Remember, the villagers knew this story. They were following it. And, and this son knew that if he were to return, that the village would be there waiting for him. There was actually a, a, a thing that would happen, a, a ceremony that would happen. If someone uh, would return, they would, they would take pottery like this in the public square. And as a way of, uh, as a point of shame, y'all know how they treated, if you study John 8, how they treated the woman with adultery. There was uh, something similar where they would take something like this and in the public square they would. And the message was, your brokenness, your brokenness is unacceptable. You have broken community. You have broken trust. You have broken the heart of your father. Your life is too destructive. You are damaged. This is you. They actually had a word for it. Kezaza is the Hebrew word for this. And it means the cutting off. You've been cut off. It's your brokenness. It's your sin. You've been cut off. The boy knew this. What the boy wasn't sure of would be the father's response. This dad who was heartbroken, who stood at the gate. His, his heart had been broken, but he stood at the gate and he waited. Proverbs 13 tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. You probably know that feeling. And I bet a bunch of you know it this morning. You're waiting for something, you're hoping for something, and it hadn't come. Somebody's rejected you, they betrayed you, they're not interested in you, they've walked out, or it's just hard. And you're waiting, and your heart is broken, and this broken hearted father waited at the gate. And the scripture tells us you, you kind of know how this plays out, don't you? It says this, as he waited, said the son, this is Luke 15, 20, and he, the boy, arose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. We'll talk about the latter part in a moment, but I think this is a part that we skip over. It says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him pause. You know, there's a way that we walk. You have a way that you walk. I have a way that I walk. It's called a gate. Uh, it's kind of a common occurrence for me. I'll sit at uh, my office window and just look back over the parking lot, look at Fonder, and I love our neighborhood. I want to check on the staff because some of them take two-hour lunches. So I just want to look back and see if I, no, I'm kidding. I, but I, I look back and I, I can see, I look out the window, and I can see people. Sometimes like, hey, that's so-and-so. That's so-and-so. You know, some people park in our parking lot. We love that. Go eat, go eat lunch at Fawner and park in our parking lot. We may or may not tow your, your vehicle at, at owner's expense. But I, I look out and I see people and I'm like, hey, that's so-and-so. And, and then I know it by the way they walk and they're getting closer and it plays out that way. But there, there's a way to walk. And this father, he, he, he noticed the gate of his son. As he stood at the gate, G-A-T-E, he noticed the gate and said, this is my boy, there is a way to walk. And can I just say that people 
professionals and experts like doctors and lawyers and counselors who have a high value of themselves, they wait, it's part of their profession, they wait for people to come see them. But Jesus tells a story of a father who publicly humiliates himself by running to somebody. And I can't help but think that there were listeners, and that was the point in the story where they were crying. This man would have a robe on. He would have to lift his robe. Secure, powerful men don't run. Secure, strong, in-control men don't run. If you go, a doctor's not running to you, a lawyer's not, a counselor's not running to you, they're going to make you wait. Come see them, wait in my office. Anybody remember John Wayne? John, there's, there's something, you know, Google this, uh, not now, but later. There's a John Wayne walk. And uh, I, I practiced it uh, actually in the mirror this week. And uh, I can't really do the job. I, I, I look stupid. So I was going to do it for you, but I'm not going to do it. But John Wayne had a walk. John Wayne had a walk. It was a swag walk. Show them you're strong. Show them you have authority. Show them the dignity that you possess. And in Jesus' story, he says, God, he says, this father representing God runs to this one. The beauty and love of the father. Let me share with you a couple things uh, as we begin to close. Uh, Not yet, Lauren, but soon. Um, The brokenness. This dad, he didn't want his son to experience kezazah. He didn't want to add to the shame. So he says, I want to get to my boy. He could have waited. You ever thought about it? He could have waited till the son got there. But he wanted to get to his boy. He wanted to embrace him. The story of our brokenness does not have to end there. Can I say today, you were introduced probably to a brand new Hebrew word for you, kezazah, but it could be your experience today and you could be broken. You could feel like damaged goods. But it doesn't have to be the end of the story. The younger brother rehearsed his speech. In Jesus' brilliant story, the younger brother rehearsed his speech. Can I ask you, have you ever rehearsed a speech? You ever written like, not, I mean like a speech speech. If you're going to preach in church, you better have a speech. You better have it written down. You better work, you better work hard on it. But have you ever, like, you've got to have a hard conversation and you write it down? And whether you're going to read it to that person or not, you, you've written it down, you've worked on it, you've rehearsed it, or at least you've done it in your mind over and over in your mind because the outcome is uncertain, opinions vary, emotions run high, and you have to, and you want to get it right. And this son rehearsed a speech, and you know what's in this speech? I am no longer worthy to be your son. Which, can I just say, church, is this, when people feel unworthy, is this what they need? Is this what they need? I mean, I know our culture is whacked out right now. Would you agree? It's white. I mean, there's some, it's bizarre. But where do we see early Christians mocking their culture? The very people they want to reach. Where do we see them mocking their culture? The very people that you want to reach, where is an example of mocking them? And people who feel shame, who feel damaged, they don't need more brokenness added to their life. 
Somebody in the 9.30 said amen. I guess y'all are just not as good as them. We don't have to stay there. Notice this older brother. We've got to bring him into the story. Um, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And by the way, can I just say, this needs to be a part of our faith. Like as a church, we need music and we need dancing. And some of you Presbyterians, I probably offended you or at least made you very uncomfortable. But we need music and dancing and feasting. We need to celebrate. And the older brother saw this. And how did he take it? He didn't like it. Not for denominational reasons, but for reasons of being the proud older brother. Now his older brother's in the field. He came and drew near the house. He heard music and dancing. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. I told you this was a good dad. Every dad... Uh, every dad that's represented in this room, we've let people down. We, we let our kids down. But this dad, oh, he, he entreated him. And notice what he said. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. And I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. If we'd read the entire story out loud, all these verses, you would have seen that the, the dad gets the fatted calf. He kisses him. He gets a ring for his finger, shoes for his feet, the best rope and the best calf. In other words, the, the brother's like, man, I don't even get a goat. There's not a lot of meat on a goat, but the fatted calf, like that's Kessler Prime. And so he's bitter. He's bitter to his dad. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. What would the father go on to say to this older brother? You are always with me and everything that I have is yours. Can I just say, is that not enough? Is that not enough? I, I want to say, and I know they're hurting people, but I just want to say in Christ, you have everything you need. You have stuff in front of you, but you're bitter. You're resentful, and you're worried about who's eating steak. Is it not enough? You know, every parent wants their kids to know that they love them. When mine were little, all three, I would tuck them in bed at night. Sometimes I'd be a little bit late. Susan, Susan would always say, don't go in there and get them riled up because I've got that riled up person. I don't, get, go, don't go in there and get them riled up. And I'd say, babe, it's a Bible story and a prayer. We're good. But I'd go in there and part of what I would say when they were a little bitty, I would say to them, daddy loves you. Daddy doesn't love you this much. Daddy doesn't love you this much. Daddy doesn't love you this much. Daddy loves you this much. And parents, can you feel me? You, you wonder if, if that sinks in. Because you want them to go out into this world knowing that they're loved. And knowing they got a home and a place to anchor in. One day I was washing uh, my car out in the reservoir at our house, front lawn. And my daughter was there and a neighbor got me. And she got the water hose while I was talking to this neighbor. And uh, she just drenched the inside of my car. And I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I was mad. I mean, I was mad. I shouldn't admit, I mean, I was really mad. And I'm generally a, a nice guy, but I was mad. And she saw, she's three years old, beautiful blue eyes. She looked up at me. She had never seen her dad this mad. And she said, Daddy, do you love me this much? And I said, no, Haley, I love you this much. But this love that God has, can I just say to you, it's not a dignified love. 
It's not an earn it love. The son came back and we're victimized by this all around and some of us don't understand grace even though we know all the words, first, second, third, and fourth stanza of, of, of amazing grace. We don't know grace. We haven't experienced grace. The son came back with the plan of living. It was the earning plan. And this, Jesus wants, he, look, God is too good. He is too holy and too perfect and too just. The earning plan will never measure up for him. It's not good enough. And this son, this older son comes back head down, says, I wanna, I'll, I'll live with the earning plan. And you know, it's what makes Jesus so unique. Can I just drop this in as a way of truth, as a point of theological truth in a world of marketplace of ideas with various sundry different promises to heaven and the good life? There's the Buddha's eightfold plan, the Hindu Karman of doctrine, of, do, of doctrine of karma. There's the Jewish covenant and into this, Jesus says, here's the love of God. It's a love for everybody, and you don't have to earn it. It's already there. You are mine, and I love you. And so as Lauren and the team come up, I want to talk for a second as we close about this celebration. Because I love this phrase. It's a, it's a, it's a buoyant phrase. It's a, it's a phrase that lifts up that exalts that gives us hope in the midst of our melancholy and pessimism and depression it says they it was it was time for merriment it was a time to celebrate feasting and music and song and dancing and that should be our experience we should want to celebrate the very first concert mom that I ever went to was at the Humphrey Coliseum in Starkville Mississippi when I was uh, in the in the 70s I went to see Cool and the Gang and they would sing celebrate good times come on it's a celebration. Y'all know that song, some of you do. And uh, it's a it's celebrate good times. And as much as we want to celebrate good times, because some of us right now aren't having a good time, but you know, there's something better and greater and deeper and wider than the situation you may be in, and it's the good news. Celebrate the good news. And what I have found is when you know God loves you, when you know the news is good, it can transcend the hard times that you're going through. And you can still celebrate. And so, a couple things related to the story as we close. Home is such a tender word. Would you stand? This boy came home. In John 14, Jesus would say, he replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them home whether I mean home is it's just a tender word it's in the heart of everybody it's sung about John Denver sings take me home country roads John Bon Jovi's got a song about it Leonard Skinner sings sweet home Alabama P Diddy's got a song uh, about it uh, Miranda Lambert sings the house that built me I mean I, I, I go on and on and on every, every, it seems like everybody's got a song about home what is home and Jesus is teaching something different. You see, when a man in the Psalms uh, sinned greatly, he prayed this prayer of confession. He said, wash me with hyssop and I will be clean. Make me whiter than snow. The bones that you have broken, bring them joy. Let me hear joy and gladness. Return to me the joy of, thy, of my salvation. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And Jesus is saying, hey, it's different now. Now that I have come, I am giving my spirit and he will be in you and it will be home and you can be with me always. And so no matter the level of brokenness, no matter at all, 
There's a story. And by the way, can, can I say we need to share our stories of brokenness. When we gather in circles, we need to share our stories. of We need to be more vulnerable. Can I just say that? Like stuffy, superficial, small groups. Man, not, nobody wants that. Don't bring that to your group. Bring your story. Bring your brokenness. But do you see the gospel story? Jesus told this story. We're still talking about it today. From the cross, the one who told the story later from the cross would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His body broken for you. The greatest act of love ever. Father, thanks for this worship. We have sung today. We have preached today. Lord, we give today. We pray. I pray that you bless this tithe, these tithes, these offerings. Let generosity flow from this place. Minister to hearts. For those who need to forgive their dads, alive or dead. For those like my wife who are missing their dad. I pray that you minister to all today. And thank you for these sons that we may find ourselves in this story, may identify with. But above all, I thank you for a remarkable father who is you, who runs to us. Jesus.